Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. Normal episode today, not a light episode. Had to shuffle things around because of my Monday Odyssey. Still rapidly catching up here. Maybe slowly. Maybe using the wrong adverb. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward uh, for consumption by Christians nowadays, it's far from biblical. It's far from what God's Word says at all. In fact, it's really just become a just complete bizarre uh, festival of strange oddities of uh, doctrines that clearly have their origins in the human minds of the people promoting them or teaching them or the demonic. Yeah, Scripture does warn us about uh, doctrines of demons being proliferated in the uh, final days, so uh, that's something we keep in mind as well. All right, so uh, let's talk about what we're going to do today. Uh, normal episode today. We'll save our light episode probably until Friday. I have to do some traveling on Friday, so we'll do our light episode then. Normal episode today, normal episode on uh, on Thursday, and, uh, and light episode on Friday, so you kind of get the idea. And uh, we're uh, trying to get a dumpster fire out uh, this week, so cross your fingers. <laughs> Just, ah, if I can get it recorded uh, early tomorrow, we can probably get it out late on Friday. We'll we'll see how that works out. Anyway, uh, just keep keep that in mind. And we also have uh, 
uh, a, 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 a short, uh, you know, little uh, movie video, uh, you know, that tells a story that we're tr- currently working on as well. Uh, details on that will come out later, but uh, I think you get the idea. All right, so what we're going to be doing today, we're going to begin with a uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Uh, we're going to be checking in with Jennifer LeClaire at a, a video she has published on her YouTube channel titled... Four reasons God hides prophets in caves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not know there were modern day prophets currently hiding in caves, and this is a strange mishandling of a t- text from First Kings. You know, uh, so you know because you know there were real prophets in the time of Elijah that were actually for real being hidden in caves. Uh, in order to save their lives from Jezebel, uh, Jezebel, actually, Jezebel and uh, her husband, Ahab. And, uh, and so, you know, it, you know the, because there was an actual historical narrative, you know, when in history there were real prophets of God in hiding in caves, that means apparently God is figuratively uh, hiding prophets in caves today. Uh, and this is a part of her uh, series on the season of hiddenness, which basically tells me this woman's brain has been fried on the so-called glory, if you know what I mean. Um, and then from there, uh, we will uh, be heading down to Lakewood, and we're going to be listening to John Gray, a little bit, uh, an extended uh, uh, update on John Gray. And John Gray is uh, getting ready for a promotion. Yeah, that's right. He's uh, been uh, you know, called to be a pastor of his own congregation, I think in South Carolina, maybe north. You know, it's in one of the Carolinas, best way to put it. And, uh, and so this is part of his fa- farewell message, uh, preparation for promotion. And uh, wow, uh, he, well, you know, all I can say is I hope you're sitting down because... Yowzers! It, this is actually kind of freaky, scary. What he's doing to the biblical text there, and uh, somewhere in there we'll have to take a break uh, because I think we're going to go a little bit long on the John Gray segment. Uh, then we're going to check in with Rick Warren, a uh, Rick Warren of Saddleback Church and Purpose Driven fame, and uh, the name of the message that we'll be sampling is titled "Making Space to Slow the Pace of Your Life." Mm-hmm. Yeah, the all-important uh, doctrine of margin. Yeah, if you've ever heard, heard of the importance of having margin, it's not actually taught in Scripture. But, you know, hey, you know, Rick Warren has uh, never been really known for being a solid exegete and somebody who rightly handles God's Word. And uh, then in hour number two, we're going to uh, uh, listen to a sermon delivered by Carrie Shook of Woodlands Church in uh, Woodlands, Texas, titled Prayer Walking Until the Walls Fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an example of what we call Jesus taking a historical narrative and allegorizing it, making yourself the hero and stuff. You know, because the children of Israel, you know, they marched around Jericho, you know, seven days and stuff. And, and that, see, that was a prayer walk. So you can prayer walk too, and, you know, the walls of your Jericho will c- come Crashing Town. Yeah, this is a weird, weird, weird mishandling of the biblical text. So you kind of get the idea. That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground we need to cover. And since we're going to 
Begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Let's do this. Get up right now. That's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. All right, so we're heading over to Jennifer LeClaire's YouTube channel. Here's four reasons why God hides prophets in caves. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> this is just absurd. Here we go. Hey, guys. Jennifer LeClaire here, senior lead at the Awakening House of Prayer, founder of the Ignite Prophetic Network, ignitenow.org. What is a senior leader, by the way? Um, I know what a pastor is. Uh, what's a senior leader? Um would that be a pastor or an apostle or you know, maybe a prophetess? Yeah. And just a little vague ecclesia, you know, as far as ecclesiology here, you know, um, what is this ecclesiology that we're hearing from her where she claims that she is, um, yeah, a, um, a senior leader. What is that? Building a community of prophetic voices that are doing damage to the enemy's camp and building up the body of Christ. Listen, I want to talk today for a few minutes about something, a fresh revelation the Lord shared with me this morning. I love these downloads. We get a whole message in like 30 seconds. Praise God. This is. Oh, so she gets downloads. It only takes 30 seconds and then she unpacks the download and uh, decompresses it and gets an entire message from a 30 second download. Yeah, that's that's got to be handy, I'm sure. Yeah. So so good. It's called Five Reasons God Puts Prophets in Hiding Places. Five. Count them. One, two, three, four, five. If you're Spanish, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Yeah, but the name of the video is Four Reasons God Hides Prophets in Caves. Okay, that's weird. Well, if there were six, I'd say six. But there are five, 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 five reasons why. Now, there's probably more than five reasons, okay? But I'm speaking to you specifically about the five reasons that I see in First Kings 17, verses 1 through 4. That's First Kings. All right, First Kings 17. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that. If you have your Bible, head on over to First Kings uh, 17. And... <laughs> Apparently, you know, this is going to explain to us the reasons why God hides prophets in caves and stuff. All right, so 1 Kings 17, uh, starting in verse 1. Historical narrative, by the way. This is a historical account of real things that took place in human history. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe uh, in Gilead said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand... 
There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except for by my word. And the word of Yahweh came to him. Depart from here, turn eastward, hide yourself in the brook Cherith, which is uh, east of the Jordan, and you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh. He went in by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. All right, so God sent Elijah into hiding. Uh, and the reason's quite simple, because as you read First uh, Kings 17 and 18, uh, Yahweh, that's the one true God, has decided to have a, a showdown, if you would, with the false god Baal. And the believers in Baal believe that it was Baal who brought us the rains. And as a result of that, gave a, you know he was responsible for the crops to grow and for a harvest and things like that. So God basically says, yo, you think Baal's the guy? No, it ain't going to rain until my prophet Elijah says so. Uh, so important to note that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He wasn't acting on his own recognizance. He was doing as he was ordered, and God put him into hiding in order to save his life. Because, uh, you know, had Elijah died, you know, uh, then uh, Israel would still be in famine and drought to this day. It'd be like the Sahara Desert, I mean, because that was kind of the, you know, so you, you get the idea. But uh, I don't really know what it is that uh, she's talking about here. She Apparently there's reasons, you know, that God does these things that other than what's in the text. And he, apparently God's doing this right now, hiding prophets and stuff. Chapter 17, verses 1 through four. Let me read you the scripture. Now, Elijah the Tishbite. Now, first of all, let me stop there. You remember when I prophesied the rise of the nobodies? Let me tell you something. I named David, who was sh tending sheep. I, the rise of the nobodies, yeah. I named uh, 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 Elisha. Uh, you know, I, I named uh, uh, Amos. But there was Elijah. He was a Tishbite. Well, where in the world is Tish? Who knew Elijah? Elijah comes on the scene, suddenly begins prophesying to the king. Whether he had prophesied to the king before, I don't know. But he was a Tishbite. He was from nobody land. Come on. I'm still prophesying the rise of the nobodies. I prophesied that on Friday. Go back and listen to it. It's good. Praise God. If uh, No, it's not because this text doesn't have to do with anything about the rise of nobodies in our age or anything like that nobody you're going to become a somebody and when you become somebody you're not going to sell out like the merchandisers the greedy gainers come on yeah i i'm sorry but uh this i find this to be ironic because um jennifer leclaire uh, she's a merchandiser she's a greedy gainer she teaches false doctrine and uh you know i find it fascinating that we have uh, video documentation that uh, during some of her monthly uh, announcements of the word of the Lord for a particular month, she's actually sold prophetic merchandise, T-shirts, you know, to go along with that month. I'm not going to get into it. Elijah, uh, the Tishbite, was one of the inhabitants of Gilead. He said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will not be dew or rain these years except by my word. Now, you got to be pretty confident. I know most Christians that I come in contact with today don't wax this confident. 
much less to a king. He said, it will not rain except by my word. This dude must have had some 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 some, some confidence. Let me just say it that way. Some it wasn't arrogance. It wasn't presumption. See, these are three reasons why God, and they're not in my list, but there there are three reasons, uh, three more reasons why God would put a prophet in the cave is is arrogance, presumption, sin. So God puts prophets in caves because of arrogance and presumption. Don't you think this is arrogant and presumptuous of you to say that? But I want to talk to you about some good reasons why you might be in a cave, okay? I'm not in a cave. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah saying, Go from here and turn eastward and hide by the Kareth brook, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5, he wasn't just a hearer of the word, he was a doer of it. The Bible says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the Kareth brook, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. See, now I want to make an important distinction here. God hid him. God hid him. There are too many prophets hiding out in caves. They're hiding from Jezebel. They're there are too, <laughs> there are <laughs> too many prophets hiding in caves. <laughs> uh, who knew? Prophetic spelunkers, you know. Hiding from the religious dogs. They're hiding from whatever it is is frightening them to hide again. God hid him in a cave. He didn't hide in a cave. Later on, he hid in the cave. When Elijah ran from Jezebel, he hid in the cave. Yeah. But in this early part of the story of Elijah's ministry, God hid him in the cave. Right. No, actually, God hid him at the brook Kareth, and then he hid him later at the uh, house of the widow of Zarephath. Early in his ministry, God hid him. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you were doing, you know, some great exploit for God. I mean, Elijah, here's Elijah prophesying to the king. All of a sudden, God says, go hide in the cave. I mean, come on. Elijah, part of him, must have been thinking, God, I'm prophesying boldly. I'm saying it's not going to rain. But by my word, he must... What are you talking about? You're, now, this is a form of uh, not only allegorizing the text, but engaging in eisegesis, reading things into the text that are not there. This woman has no ability to rightly handle a biblical text at all. What she is doing is demonstrating her sheer exegetical and hermeneutical ignorance, putting it on parade for the whole world to see. And she thinks she's actually speaking in a way that's somehow building up the body of Christ and somehow, oh, really helping us to properly understand words or giving us a an insight to this biblical text that can really, really help today's modern-day prophets who are currently living in caves. <laughs> I don't even know if that's legal. Do they have a cave living permit? You know, it's where where are these caves that these uh, prophets are living in? Who's feeding them and stuff? You know, so I, I think you get the idea. This, I mean, this is absurd. This woman literally has mentally lost her mind. She's fried her brain on the glory, and what she's saying is completely absurd and nonsensical. And yet, oh, she's a superstar, darling, in the. Uh, 
in the NAR and the charismatic church and uh, <laughs> all of those things. So, yeah, quite fascinating indeed. All right, moving along, uh, for John Gray, we're going to play this update music. Here we go. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do. What, what I, I do, as, as long as I do it with, with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus And the scent of burning sulfur in the air I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke But they love me everywhere For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do As long as I do it with a flare yeah, it doesn't matter what I do or what I say as long as I do it with a flair. All right, so uh, we're heading over to Lakewood, and uh, we're going to start a message here. We'll end up having to take a break partway through it. But uh, John Gray is uh, literally getting ready to head out to uh, North Carolina, South Carolina yeah, as a pastor. And this was his uh, last official sermon there at uh, at Lakewood, although I, I understand he's going to be returning and preaching there uh, on uh, some regular basis, but listen to this message. It is creepy go nuts. The best way I could put it. Here's John Gray. No one gets to where they arrive on their own. Everyone needs a vehicle or a vessel or someone to open a door. There are no self-made individuals. Somebody help you along the way. And it would do our hearts some good to remain humble in the face of God's blessing. If you'll be patient with me tonight for a few minutes, I feel like sharing my heart. And I believe that there's something that I'm supposed to impart. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to impart something. Run away if uh, you ever hear a pastor or somebody from the stage or a preacher or an evangelist talk about impart impartationing things and stuff yeah i have (laughs) yeah it's it's it all the rage it's in vogue but it it's not a biblical practice and uh, we're not going to hear john gray imparting any sound doctrine in fact uh uh, we're going to hear a lot of self-importance and weird stuff from him but uh, we continue here there is a shift in the atmosphere uh, huh. Shift in the atmosphere. That's one of the weird vagaries we hear from folks uh, like him and others. Something is changing in the spirit, and there's something brewing in God's church. And God is getting ready to dust off, polish off, and present hidden gems. People. Mm, God's getting ready to polish off and present hidden gems. Okay. Who have been prepared through the crucible of conflict and personal tragedy and pain and loss while maintaining their faith. And God is getting ready to put you on front street and put you on display. Really? God's getting ready to put me on display. Boy, I must really be important. Okay. Because the Bible says, the songwriter says in Psalm 139, all my days were written in your book when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your... Yeah, just because God 
you know, knew my days doesn't mean that God's about ready to put me on front street and make me super de duper important and stuff. This reminds me of uh, what we're warned against by the Apostle Paul from Second Timothy chapter 4. Uh, this is a pastoral epistle, Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy, who is a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, uh, preach the word. Yeah, that would be the written word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Yeah, now the people at Lakewood are not exactly known for enduring sound doctrine. No, but instead this. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn aside from listening to the truth and wander off into the into myths. So, uh, yeah, that, that's um, a prophecy given almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul. And we're hearing its fulfillment in part in this uh, sermon from John Gray. Thoughts toward me, oh God. I couldn't even number them if I tried. And so you sitting here are not just a human being. You are a story that God wrote and God only writes bestsellers. Yeah, so I, I, I'm a story that God wrote and God only writes bestsellers. Yeah. Wow, I, I was really be important, you know. Um, notice who he's not preaching about. He ain't preaching about Jesus. He's not preaching in any way whatsoever that would convict anybody of sin and convict them of their guilt before God by transgressing God's holy law. And he's not going to placard Jesus Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins and call them to repent and to be forgiven. No, he's just telling them, oh, man, your future's so bright. You know, John Gray might as well be wearing, you know, Ray-Ban sunglasses. So. The challenge is trusting God when the chapters don't feel good. Anybody ever had a chapter that didn't feel like it needed to be in your book? This is when your faith kicks in and you declare things like all things are working together for the good. And I'm the head and not the tail. I'm the head and not the tail. That's right. I am super de duper important. These are the I am type of declarations that uh, Joel Osteen has written about and taught people to embrace and to do. And John Gray, good disciple of Joel Osteen, not of Jesus Christ, but of Joel Osteen is uh, twisting scripture and basically saying, oh, don't worry, your life's a bestseller. You're the head, not the tail. Aren't you super-duper important? And I'm blessed and not cursed, and I'm a child of God. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Five years ago, my wife and I moved to Houston from Atlanta. My wife was seven and a half months pregnant. And trusted that I heard from God, left her physicians and OBGYNs, and we got on a plane and came down here and uh, trusted the Lord, not knowing what he was going to do. And here we are five years later, and God has done miracle after miracle uh, in our lives. And I believe in the lives of many of the people that are here and those who are watching. But I want to thank God for Pastor Joel and Victoria. All right, so we're going to pause right there, 
And uh, we're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, we're going to continue listening to John Gray in this preparation for promotion sermon. And uh, notice that uh, he's uh, he's scratching a lot of itching ears. And his self-importance uh, and his ego literally inflate to such a size that I am surprised that anybody in Lakewood was able to survive the ordeal or even, you know, I'm surprised they didn't, you know, asphyxiate, you know, <laughs> die from lack of oxygen because you'll, you'll, you'll hear it when we come back. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Christian. We come back more of John Gray as well as Rick Warren up ahead. Stay tuned, don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, <sighs> sacked the choir, and put Damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh, expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief ex- weapons are, our chief weapons are, um, purpose. uh, uh, vision. Okay. And- okay. Stop, stop that. Stop that. 
our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there are no modern-day prophets who need to worry about having to hide in caves and stuff. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com, And when you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, and the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at 24 95 a month from there master gunner at 49.95 a month quartermaster 99.95 a month joining our crew is a great way to support us helps us pay our bills keep doing what we're doing here and of course if you'd like to make a one-time contribution you click on the donate button or you make your gift payable to fighting for the faith send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and if you want to become a patron on patreon click the become a patron 
button. And of course, let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, check back in with uh, John Gray and his uh, farewell sermon, Preparation for Promotion, and uh, see if we can make uh, biblical heads or tails of what it is that he's saying there. Here we go again. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 1, and I'm going I'm to preach it like I feel it. Joshua chapter 1, and you're going to preach it the way you feel it, which is no way of uh, rightly handling a biblical text. Joshua chapter 1, because I represent something. I believe God wants y'all to look at me, not because I'm devastatingly handsome, (laughs) but because I represent something that the devil never wanted to see. Mm, So we're supposed to be looking at uh, John Gray, because... He represents something the devil didn't want us to see. I'm pretty sure by twisting God's word, you're exactly what the devil wants everybody to see and listen to here. The devil is so mad right now. I don't detect any reason to believe that. Because God has made me an example and a door for other people to walk in. I know. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, you refer to yourself as a door. Yet Jesus says he's the door. Yeah, whoa, yeah, this guy is, wow, off the chains, like talking messianic talk about himself. My anointing, I have a breaker's anointing. So when God sends me somewhere, it's to break an atmosphere open because God's trying to get something in a region. Uh, Oh, my goodness. So uh, John Gray, God sends him into, uh, you know, because he has a breaker anointing, to he sends him into regions to break stuff in the atmosphere and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, was he in the Infinity Wars uh, movie, the, the Marvel thing that uh, recently came? I haven't seen it. So, you know, maybe John Gray is in there, you know. Um, I'm not sure what his exact uh, costume would look like, but he's breaker anointing man, you know. I believe our assignment was to do some lifting in this region for a supernatural revival. Now, anywhere else, this many people on a Wednesday, they would have cameras everywhere. But because we saved and loved Jesus, they don't want to talk about it. And that's all right. We still going to show up. We're still going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But now the assignment has shifted. And God wants you all to realize that he will, in his own time, Use exactly who he wants, when he wants, no matter where you come from, what your pedigree, what your uh, uh, credentials are, God wants to use you. And I believe tonight that there are several hundred people in here that literally had to get here tonight because what I have to say is the last thing before you are pushed into greatness. Mm-hmm. So uh, John Gray is about to push a bunch of people into greatness. Wow, who knew? Now I need a sound if you believe that you're about to be pushed into greatness. Because yeah, where in the Bible does it say that pastors or preachers or teachers, you know, can push people into greatness? You know, it reminds me of a text. It really does. Um, let's see here. Second Timothy chapter three. Yeah, Second Timothy chapter three, starting at verse one. Understand this: that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Mm-hmm. 
lovers of money, mm-hmm. proud, arrogant. <laughs> yeah, it's, I feel like we're hearing a lot of that from John Gray here. Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without con- self-control, uh, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Yeah, I think that uh, what we're hearing from John Gray kind of fits the bill in spades, if you know what I mean. Some of you wouldn't run towards it, so God had to. I dare you, if somebody near you is standing up, put, a, put your hand on the shoulder, tell them, push, 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 push. Every now and then you need a little... Stop sitting in the shallow end of God's blessing. Go on out there in the deep end. And since you don't want to... Yeah, so God's blessings apparently have shallow ends. Who knew? Go, God sent me tonight to... Are you sure God sent you? Nothing is birthed without a... Where are my mothers at? Where are the women in here who know? Where are the women in here who know? It hurt while you were pushing. Where are the women at? Okay. But when you saw that baby, it was worth it. I don't know who this is for, but this is not a service. It's a labor pain. Somebody needs to. So he's got all the people there, male and female, uh, in labor there as they uh, get ready to push and give birth to their own greatness. Wow. And you can't push and be quiet. If you understand, unless of course you've had an epidural, you know, yeah. what was in the spirit tonight, there's going to be a couple moments where somebody next to you might be, ow, ow, glory, sorry, I didn't mean, ow, don't worry, they're not crazy, they're pushing. Right, they're, they're giving birth to their own personal greatness, yeah. Why? Because it's time for your feet to take possession of the promise. Uh, Wow. Uh, Twisting of uh, the book of Joshua, similar to what we heard Jennifer LeClaire do in the uh, first part of this hour. Wow. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, New King James Version. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. Yeah, who who was uh, God talking to there? Yeah, see, this is not some promise for you. Yeah, so Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, and he was reading particularly verse 3, but uh, we'll note something here. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, the son of Nun. So God's talking to, not me, not you, Joshua. Mm-hmm who was Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, any question as to who is being referred to here? Yeah, Lebeni Israel, the people of Israel. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so every place that the sole of your foot, 
uh, yeah, uh, so this would be plural, y'all's foot, uh, tread upon, I have given to y'all, just as I have promised to Moses. You see, this is not some promise that wherever you put your feet that, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's not what's going on here. Talk about a misapplication. And to think that uh, there's a church that actually called this guy to be their pastor. Um, he clearly has no clue what it is that he's doing. He doesn't know how to rightly handle God's word. I have given you. I'm going to rewind because Clayton, they missed it because they didn't know that I was talking about them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. Talking about them, not me or anyone at Lakewood. I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you at all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua. Yeah, yeah, with Joshua there. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Hey, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers and give them. Some of y'all are the product of prayer. Um, are any of the people there at Lakewood, uh, did they, have they, were they there when Israel crossed the Jordan and Jericho fell and stuff? I mean, they'd be pretty old, uh, right now. Um, so you're talking about the people at Lakewood as if they were actually present for this. Prayers that people prayed who are no longer here. They're in heaven now. And you are what they were praying for. They never saw the promise, but the promise has now fallen to you. Uh, what promise would that be exactly? And God's getting ready to bless you in such a way, so magnificently and overwhelmingly, that you will have to distribute it to other family members. Uh, this, this is what we call a, a prophetic onesie. This is uh, you know, a one-size-fits-all prophecy. So apparently, you know, God's getting ready to bless you so much, man. Oh, you're going to be, uh, you know, everyone's going to be coming to you because you're going to be like, you know, the candy man. You're going to be like Santa Claus, like, you know, every day of the year, passing out blessings to everybody. You're the one God's going to use to bless the whole family. I need somebody to get this. All it takes is one. God says, I just need one per family. You know, when you get something good, coupons, all it takes is one, Andre. If one person gets a blessing, they can distribute that anointing to everybody else. God says, I'm just looking for one. Yeah, none of this has anything to do with Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3 and following. Is there one per family? It'd be great if I could get two. Maybe you're not here with family, so I just need one per row. But if I can get two per row, by the power of two, a matter is established. And if I can get somebody to worship on each row. Yeah, apparently utter pandemonium has broken out there at uh, Lakewood as everybody's narcissism. And, well, uh, John Gray's narcissism has achieved literally 
oxygen deprivation levels. I, I don't know how anybody can survive with such inflated egos within the same building. I, wow. Yeah. They're literally cheering for themselves. It's, um, quite sick if you think about it. All right. Uh, moving along. Time for a purpose driven update. Let's do this. I don't know how I know, but I'm gonna find my purpose. I don't know where I'm gonna look, but I'm gonna find my purpose. Gotta find out, don't wanna wait. Got to make sure that my life will be great. Gotta find my purpose before it's too late. Yeah, that's right. So we're heading over to Saddleback Church. And uh, you know, Rick Warren uh, hasn't been doing a lot of preaching lately, but uh, he's uh, back in the saddle for this particular message on making space to slow the pace of your life, the all-important purpose-driven doctrine of margin. I have no idea where the Bible teaches this concept, but Rick Warren is quite the uh, you know, the twister of Scripture. He literally can take uh, the Bible and like roll it out like a piece of dough, bend it into all kinds of different shapes, and turn it into a pretzel of his liking. So uh, this one is apparently about margin and slowing the pace of your life down. Here's Rick Warren to explain. You know, one of the most common complaints that I hear today is this. I'm overloaded. <laughs> I just can't get it all done. I, I yeah, uh, the job of a pastor uh, is to preach the word. Um, so if you hear a bunch of people saying, I'm overloaded, as a pastor, you're not actually called to troubleshoot that form. You're supposed to actually teach the word of God. Uh, if somebody's overloaded, I wouldn't send them to me to learn how to unload themselves and learn time management or stress-busting techniques or anything like that. I'd send them to somebody who actually knows how to do those kinds of things and is qualified to teach and to give practical advice on stuff like that. But see, Rick Warren thinks that the church has to you know, show the world that we care by uh, teaching them uh, life principles and tips and tricks and stuff like that to to ease their uh, their suburbanite suffering, you know, things like that. I catch up. I need a break. I'm I'm overloaded. Now, on your message notes there at the top, I've listed some commonly sourced areas of over overload. In other words, we are often overloaded from too many activities. If you're a parent with kids in school right now, you know what I'm talking about. You're, you're, you're chauffeuring back and forth activities. There are too many choices in the world. There are too many changes in the world. We get overloaded from too much work, too much debt, too many worries. Uh, we, we get overloaded from too much information uh, from the Internet and from the media, uh, too much accessibility in your life. The pace of life, uh, the speed of life uh, has gotten faster and faster. So... How overloaded are people today? Well, let me just give you some statistics. People today sleep two and a half fewer hours on average each night. Mm-hmm. Um, what does this have to do with the Bible again? Notice uh, this is the beginning of his sermon. Uh, we're not in a biblical text. Uh, you know, uh, we're just hearing about a, you know, kind of a first world problem, if you would. And they did 100 years ago. So we're getting less sleep. Uh, the average work week... 
in America is actually longer than it was in the 1960s. We're working longer hours. We're getting less sleep. The average office worker, they did a study and said that 36 hours of work is piled up on the average office worker's desk. And they spend about three hours a week just sorting through it to find different things. You know, I think in my own life, I have many different email accounts that I checked one this morning, which is a uh, got a lot of junk mail account and over 21,000 unread emails in that particular account. So we're chronically rushed. We're chronically late. We're chronically exhausted. Have you ever felt like Job? Look at that verse on your outline. Job 326 is this. I have no peace. I have no quiet. I have no rest. And trouble keeps coming. Mm, yeah, see, Job wasn't a cubicle office worker who had, a, you know, 36 hours of backlog uh, in his uh, in his inbox or anything like that. I, I would note that Job was suffering greatly because, you know, he'd lost his family was, you know, he had sores, was lying literally in ashes. And, um, yeah, Joe, we'll just apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. It says in Job 3.20, Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble keeps on coming. Um, so, yeah, um, see, Job wasn't an overworked suburbanite, nor was he uh, a soccer mom who had... You know, too many activities and sporting events on his plate or anything like that. Weird that he would quote Job as an example of the thing that he's describing, yet this shows that Rick Warren cares nothing about what Job, the book itself, actually says. Yeah, that's kind of the problem, don't you think? That sounds like overload. So today. No, that does not sound like overload. Listen to it again as he quotes from Job 3.26. You ever felt like Job? Look at that verse on your outline. Job 3.26 is this. I have no peace. I have no quiet. I have no rest. And trouble keeps coming. That sounds like overload. So today. Yeah, so Job was suffering from overload, yeah. I'm going to launch this new series that I'm calling Living with a margin, living with a margin. And my goal is to lower your stress and to increase uh, your peace of mind. Now, I need to give you some definitions right at the start. Shouldn't your goal be to rightly handle the biblical text and to preach the word? Serious. What do I mean by margin? Well, a margin uh, is the space, write this down. Margin is the space between my load and my limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what text is talking about margin again and the importance between uh, the, you know, having some space between my load and my limits? I mean, this sounds like practical advice. I mean, don't get me wrong. This might actually be a good way to manage yourself. But what does this have to do with what God's word says? My load and my limits. In other words, what, my, what I've got 
to do, my responsibilities, and how much energy and effort and whatever else I need to get it done. My load and my limits, the space between. But having margin is, is having some breathing room in your life, uh, that you have some reserves in your life. Now, you need margin in every area of your life. Uh, you need physical margin. Uh, and so you're, you're not always going so you don't wear out. You need spiritual margin for handling temptation and, and, uh, ministry, uh, cause those are draining. We need emotional margin in our lives for the relationships in our lives. We need financial margin to, uh, avoid. Yeah. Again, can you show me the biblical text that talks about all these places where I need margin in my life? pressure of debt. When you don't have any margin in your finances, guess what? You're in deep debt. We need time margin uh, in your schedule. And we're going to look at each of these in this series. So please, please don't miss any one of the the messages. Uh, You know, I have a friend named George and he told me this. He said, you know, Rick, there are only three ways that you can arrive any place. So he's going to accurately quote George, his friend, but not the Bible. Wow. You can arrive early, uh, you can arrive on time, or you can arrive late. Now, for most of my life, he said, George said, my goal was simply to arrive right on time. But he said when my goal was to arrive right on time, he said I consistently arrived five minutes late. It's because I allowed no margin. Because things go wrong, you forget your keys, there's traffic, there's all kinds of stuff. And he said, you know, as a result, Rick, I always felt stressed. I always felt pressured as I rushed in the last 15 minutes to get ready and get to my next meeting. He said, rather than feeling peace, I often felt panic. Now he said, since I have multiple meetings every day, George said, I, I began to think about the cumulative negative effect of putting my mind and my body through 15 minutes of tension several times a day because I was stressing out. And he said it was an unnecessary strain on my soul. And he said, I figured out that about 15 minutes of hurrying in meet to different meetings that I go to every day, three times a day for 15 years, added up to nearly six solid months of unnecessary tension. Can you imagine that? That's solid 24 hour days. That's 107. Yeah, I mean, it sounds terrible and all. Um, it, it, was it sinful to do that? Did, uh, did Jesus die on the cross for all the times when you didn't give yourself enough margin and you increased the stress levels in your life? I, I'm trying to figure out what this has to do with anything that the Bible actually teaches. One 24-hour days of stress or 4,106 hours of tension. He said, just because I wasn't building in margin. And he said, that was, you know, only if nothing went wrong and there was no traffic and then it might take longer and I was going to have to deal with that. So George told me, he said, you know, Rick, I started adding margin to my schedule and leaving earlier when I had to pick up the kids, when I had to go to a meeting. Yeah, I mean, again, great advice. Uh, leave early, arrive, you know, give yourself some margin. Um, does the Bible talk about the importance of leaving early so that you give yourself enough time and margin so that you don't stress out? I mean, this sounds like self-help. This doesn't sound anything like biblical teaching. 
uh, leaving early for getting to church and finding a parking spot. You know what that one's like. Yeah. He says, as a result, I'm much more relaxed. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad that George, because he's applied margin to his life, is far more relaxed. Yeah. Much more at peace. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying life more. And I suggest you try it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is literally the first six minutes of that sermon. And uh, the one thing that didn't happen in that sermon was the Bible rightly handled, uh, law and gospel properly distinguished, repentance and the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in Jesus' name. Just a lot of self-help, you know, uh, you know, that I'm sure, you know, this is the kind of stuff that would really, you know, just make people's lives, um, you know, you know, better managed, but... It, this has nothing to do with what Scripture actually says that a pastor is supposed to be preaching and teaching on any given Sunday. I think you kind of get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. When we come back, a Carrie Shook sermon review. Uh, I shudder at the thought. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents... Death of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. Boo! Boo! Boo. 
And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Two fighting for the faith sermon review time. Let's do this right. We got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Woodlands Church, Woodlands, Texas. Carrie Shook presiding. The name of the um, sermon is Prayer Walking Until the Walls Fall. And uh, you're going to note he has a lot in common with, um, well, Jennifer LeClaire and John Gray and... uh, Everyone we featured as far as weird Bible twists are concerned. So, that's about all I need to say in that regard. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Carrie Shook and Prayer Walking Until the Walls Fall. Here we go. Well, this weekend in the Woodlands... They had the Ironman Triathlon, and of course I would have participated in it, except that I needed to preach this weekend, and I wanted to be really rested. No. I mean, I can't even imagine swimming 2.3 miles, and then biking 112 miles, and then running a marathon 26.2 miles. That's insanity. And Ironman triathletes tell me that at some point in the triathlon, they usually hit what they call the wall. That's when the stored glycogen is totally depleted in their bodies. And they say it literally feels like hitting a wall. Where you have- All right. So notice here um, we have one definition of the word wall. Uh, so the wall that a runner experiences or a you know triathlon athlete experiences when their body just says, no, I don't want to do anything more. You can't make me go. That that's the wall, but notice that's okay. So when we talk about like if we were talking about you know the walls of Jericho, is that the kind of wall we're talking about? No. What is he doing here? No energy, and you feel like you can't take another step, and then it becomes mind over matter, just to keep going. 
Well, we're in this series we're calling Praying for a Miracle. And I have to say that when you're praying for a miracle, there are times when you hit what I call prayer walls. Where <laughs> so the name of the sermon series is Praying for a Miracle. Have you hit a prayer wall? Oh, you just can't make this stuff up. Praying for God to work and you're seeing progress. You're seeing God work in your life and you're moving in the right direction. And as you're praying, you're seeing things happening. But then all of a sudden you hit a, a wall that seems insurmountable. A dead end where it looks like it's totally impossible. All right. So talking about a different kind of wall here. And you feel like giving up. Well, today we're going to learn that there's no wall that can stop God's work in your life. We're going to look at one of the most famous miracles in the Old Testament where the walls of Jericho fell. As the children of Israel went into the promised land and the very first battle that they were to fight was the battle of Jericho. So open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. All right, so Joshua chapter 6, and I just have to ask the question, is the story of the battle of Jericho an example of somebody hitting a prayer wall? Or hitting a runner's or athletic wall? No, not at all. So already we're engaging in all kinds of confusion. And he's not actually providing any clarity for this text. He's begun by laying down a semantic smokescreen by engaging in wordplay and giving us multiple definitions of the word wall. This is in preparation for what he's about to do, and that is allegorize the wall of Jericho and somehow turn it into something you're facing in your life in the present. And would you stand in honor of God's word? And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us through our satellite campuses and everyone worshiping with us through our broadcast or online ministry, wherever you are around the world. We love you. You're welcome. And we're so glad you're part of our church from the woodlands to the world. And we believe God's word contains complete truth to change us. And we build our lives upon it. And so, yeah, if you're going to build your life on the word of God, which is, you know, a wise thing to do, you need to make sure you're building it on God's word, rightly divided, rightly handled, rightly taught so that you're not believing promises that God hasn't made or think that you're supposed to apply principles or methods to your life that the Bible actually doesn't prescribe. I want you to follow along with me. It's, it's a long passage. And there are times when you're praying for God to answer and you're waiting on God, you're waiting on God, you're waiting on God, and you don't think God will ever come through. You're not sure you'll ever. Yeah, this isn't an example of that. That's, the, you know, the, the fall of Jericho is not an example of somebody hitting a prayer wall. The finish line, you may feel that way as I read this passage because it's really long, but I want you to just hang in there with me, okay? It's so important because there's some... What has happened to evangelicalism, where a pastor literally has to prepare people? Oh my goodness, I'm going to read more than two verses. I might actually read, you know, like 10 verses. It's really long. And brace yourself. Wow, they've become totally anemic, uh, allergic to the Word of God, you know, preached with any length to it whatsoever. Wow. Powerful truths in here that God wants to speak to you. See, I believe with all my heart that when God uses his word 
and we spend time in his word, study his word, that he speaks directly to our hearts. And he knows where you're at and what you're going through. And he wants to speak a personal and powerful word directly to you, wherever you are. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carrying trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. And the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day. They circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout for the Lord has given you the city. All right, that's 16 full verses. Oh, man, I mean, he almost like you know, pulled a hamstring, you know, reading out 16. And I don't think it could be done. This is absurd. It, just the fact that he had to prepare everybody for 16 verses. How do you plan on preaching all 66 ver- bi- b- books of the Bible if you have to only piece it out two or three verses at a time? It becomes impossible, by the way. All right, so that's a historical narrative. A historical narrative. Telling us what? Telling us what occurred in history. Now, we also know that the Old Testament is type and shadow. And my personal belief as far as type and shadow, what this is pointing to, since the taking of the promised land is the topic at hand, and we learn from Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, that the real promised land is the new earth, that what we're seeing in uh, the story of Jericho is a type and shadow re, you know, rehearsal, if you would, of the end of the world. And the only people who survived this ordeal in Jericho, you know, were those well who had the scarlet thread. 
hanging from their window. Yeah, that scarlet thread that points us to the blood of Christ. So, you know, just pointing that out. So, you know, you can kind of talk about how in type and shadow this hooks into Jesus and, may, you know, is a, is a picture of God's judgment against those who persist in sin and idolatry and unbelief. And ultimately, this will have its full fulfillment, you know, when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And you'll note one of the important uh, aspects of Jesus's return, his second advent, is that it is accompanied with the trumpet blast of the archangel. Mm-hmm. So when you start connecting those dots, you can start, you can kind of see typologically how this points to Jesus Christ and his ultimate conquering of the earth on the day of judgment. And of course, the fact that the commander, the general in charge of this campaign, his name is Yeshua, Joshua. That's his name. That also happens to be the exact same name of Jesus. His name is Yeshua, Joshua. You see, you start connecting it this way, and you can pull it right back to Jesus. But, um, well, uh, Kerry Shook, uh, he narsegetes biblical texts. That means he reads his own self-love and your self-love into the biblical text, which means he's going to completely miss the point. And uh, let's see what he does here. Lord, we thank you. You've given us so many promises that you want us to possess. But yet, I know everyone faces walls. And I know there's some folks here today or listening to the sound of my voice that are... There are people who are facing walls. Yeah. Um, don't even know what that means because, I mean, you know, sometimes a wall is a good thing. You know, it you know keeps noise out or, you know, keeps the neighbor's dog from coming in your yard and doing his thing. You know, walls can be a, a positive thing in our lives. Why would you think that somebody facing a wall, that that would somehow be negative. And notice now we're allegorizing the walls of Jericho and you know, talking about the walls in your life, which is it's nonsense. An enormous wall that they feel like they just can't break through. But Lord, you've taught us here how our prayers, that you use our prayers to smash down walls. No, that's not what was said there in uh, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 16. And there's no wall that can keep you from doing your work in our lives. So I pray you'd fill us with hope today that this message would be so encouraging that you would give words of encouragement into people's hearts that are facing a wall and feel like they're at a dead end and they're in this impossible situation where the walls are closing in. Oh, no, movable walls, you know, like the trash compact you're seeing from... Star Wars, A New Hope. Yeah, whoa, no, Move, those movable walls, they can just squish you, you know, really badly. This is nonsense already. No, Lord, that they're right in the middle of your will and you have a plan. And this wall is just part of your will. And you're going to use it, Lord, to bring about a miracle. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. And I want you to see right away three things about walls. There are three things that you really need to know about the walls that you'll hit in your life. And if you- so three important things about walls. Are these three things about walls found in Joshua chapter 6, Carrie? Know these three things about the walls. They're in everyone's path, and you're going to get really frustrated, and you're going to give up, and you're praying. I'm going to give up because of walls. I mean, why do we... 
pray for a miracle and we're praying for God to work and then we don't see any results and then we give up. Why is that? Well, why do we stop praying so quickly? It's because we don't understand three things about walls. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? They're invisible, though. You know, so is the first thing that we need to know about walls is that they're invisible. That God wants to teach us today through this passage. First, barriers block perspective. Barriers. Oh, I assure you that the walls of Jericho have nothing to do with blocking perspectives. <laughs> this is, I'm going to have a hard time to get through this sermon. Block my perspective. Now, the battle of Jericho was the first battle that the people of Israel fought after they entered the promised land. They'd been in the desert for 40 years. Finally, they go into the promised land and they're thinking, man, this is going to be amazing. We're in the promised land. But they knew they were going to have to fight a battle. They knew that it was going to be a fight. And the first city they come to is Jericho. And it has this enormous wall. Now, the city itself wasn't very big, had a small population, but the wall was huge. Can you imagine being an Israelite at that time? And you just come into the promised land. You're a little nervous about fighting your first battle. You're kind of worried that you might get hurt or killed in that first battle. And then you come right up to Jericho and you see this wall and you think, I might die trying to climb this wall. I mean, what do they do back in that day? You're climbing the wall, they pour hot oil on you, you know, or they, you know, they shoot arrows down at you. It's like, how in the world are we going to take this insurmountable wall? It looked impossible from their perspective. And that's because walls block our true perspective. It's really hard. It's just nonsense. Utter, complete nonsense. The people there at Woodland Church are not at all even coming close to understanding what this text actually says or points to. Wow. For us to see what God is up to when we hit a wall in our life. We don't know what's on the other side of the wall. We don't know how we're going to get over it, how we're going to get around it. And we lose perspective. And some of you today are starting to lose your perspective because you've hit a wall of worry about a health problem that's going on in your a, life. A wall of worry. Uh-huh. Hey, for maybe it's a wall of depression or a wall of grief that's just overwhelming you from a loss in your life. You, you've hit a wall in your marriage. You've hit, hit a wall in your workplace. You've hit a wall and you're starting to lose perspective because all you can see is the wall. You're right up against the wall and all you can see is the wall. Did you know the Great Wall of China is one of the only man-made objects you can see from space? But in space... <laughs> is the Great Wall of China going to help me understand Joshua chapter 6? Ah! The Great Wall of China looks like a little speck from space. It looks like a little line from space. The great wall of China is nothing compared to the greatness of God who created the universe. And your wall is nothing compared to the greatness of your God. It's just that you've lost. I don't have a wall. (laughs) You know, even in my yard, in my house, I mean, 
we have part there's only a small part of my yard that has a fence i but there are no walls you know on the outside of you know protecting protecting the perimeter of my house or even blocking free passage into my property you know <laughs> ah perspective you're too close to the wall and all you can see is the wall but if you get a god level perspective you can see that that wall is really small. So I, I need to go to outer space and get a God-level perspective of whatever my wall is, but not literally because you can't really for real see your wall from outer space because it's an invisible mental thing. Yeah, okay. To the greatness of your God. And you get perspective when you come to worship. And that's why Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven says... I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? God is saying, no wall is too tall for me. Jeremiah 32 doesn't mention anything about walls. Read the whole chapter. No walls are mentioned as blocking promises and blessings and thingies and stuff in Jeremiah 32. Yeah, he just did to Jeremiah what uh, Rick Warren did to Job. Wow. I'm bigger than any problem that you face. There's no wall that is too tall for me to handle. In fact, that wall is really small. From my level, from the God of the universe's perspective, the wall that you face is nothing. I'm not facing a wall. It says here that I'm the Lord of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Is there any wall too tall for me? No, there's no wall. Too- no, that, that, that's not what God is saying in Jeremiah 32, 17. <sighs> anyway, we come back. This is just awful. Paul, for the God of the universe. And you need to realize that. And so when we come to worship and we focus on God, that's what worship really is. Literally, worship means to focus on God. And when you get your focus off yourself and your wall and onto God, and that's what you... My focus isn't on any wall. Doing. That's why God is lifting you up even now, encouraging you even now, because some of you walked in here with your wall, with that burden that's crushing the life out of you. How did they fit in their seats if they walked into the Woodlands Church carrying a wall? This is just literally one of the most absurd things I have heard in a long time. But we continue with that burden that's crushing the life out of you. And you came in here and that's all you could think about. And then you started worshiping. You started singing to God, focusing on God. And then through the teaching, you're focusing on God. And as you focus on God through worship, you get perspective. You start seeing a little glimpse of how big and great your God is, and your wall starts to get small. Okay, so important to note here, that is, is that God does answer prayer, and that uh, worship and praise is a vital thing within the life of a Christian. And the idea of having an eternal perspective is uh, one that is explicitly taught in Scripture, even in the midst of difficulties. I would point you to a clear passage that teaches something like this. 
for instance, maybe something like Psalm 13. Psalm 13. We'll take a look at it real quick. It's a short psalm. It only has five, uh, six verses. Six verses. Here's what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And, and so you're going to note here the talk is of one who seems to believe that he's been abandoned by God. You know, the difficulties of his life, and this is David writing, uh, has, uh, you know, it has overwhelmed him. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. So here's the idea. It is that Carrie Shook is teaching some things, and I have to kind of say it in those vague terms, that are correct, that when we have anxieties and difficulties in life or obstacles to, you know, you know, I don't want to, I got to be careful how I say this, you know, things that are getting in the way of healthy relationships and as far as our good works with each other, difficulties at work, difficulties in our marriage, maybe even difficulties in our finances, things of that nature. The walls of Jericho is not the text that you go to to teach us that God cares for us, that we shouldn't have anxiety, that we need to keep an eternal perspective. There are other passages that teach that. And so, you know, although some of the things he's saying are actually true, the text that he's using to teach it is not at all, and I mean not even close, to a text that you should be going to to teach these things. You get a good perspective, a real perspective, because barriers block our perspective. But God wants you to know today there's no wall too tall for him to tear down. Uh, and then there's a second thing that I, I want you to see. Locked doors feel like dead ends. I mean, let's be honest. That <laughs> What? You come to a shut door in your life, it feels like, a dead end, like it's all over. No, it feels like, quick, somebody grab a key. I forgot my keys, you know. Now, the Bible says the gates of Jericho were securely barred. No one was going in. No one was going out. The city was on lockdown. And so they come out of the promised land. They come right to Jericho. There's this huge wall, and the door has been shut. And it's been locked. No! <laughs> okay. And it's been barred. And they can't get to the door. Have you ever felt like God gave you a promise and you're praying, believing that that promise is going to come true? What promise are you referring to? Are you referring to some kind of a promise that God has given me outside of Scripture? You know, maybe a promise that uh, my purpose is to become a Broadway star or something like that. Uh, yeah, what promise are you referring to? Because the promises we point to that we know are for certain are from God are those in Scripture of the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, a right standing with God, that he'll meet our needs, things like that, that he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Those are promises given to Christians. 
What promises are you referring to? Knowing that God gave you that promise and you're praying for a miracle and then all of a sudden the door gets slammed in your face. The door gets shut and locked and barred. What do you do? Don't stop praying just because the door gets shut on you. Don't stop praying just because the door gets shut on you. You see, the city was on lockdown. Why? Because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Jericho was just a little city. I mean, there wasn't many people inside the city walls. Just the walls were huge. And they were all fearful of the Israelites. God had put this fear in their hearts. And so they knew that that wall was their last stand. They knew that wall was getting ready to go. And they knew the Israelites were getting ready to come through. And it was their last stand. And sometimes a door is locked because Satan is trembling in his boots. And he knows it's his last stand to keep you from possessing the promise that God has given you. And he... What? (laughs) So apparently some promise that God has given you has become the promised land here. And Satan's keep trying to keep you from that. Yeah, no, no biblical text teaches this. He's on his last leg and he knows that all you have to do is take another step and that wall is going to fall. And maybe you're filled with fear because you see the wall, but that wall and that locked door may not be from God at all. It may be Satan trying to keep you from possessing the promise that God has given you. And so you keep again, nonsense. No biblical text teaches this. Praying, you keep knocking until the door falls down. Isaiah twenty two twenty two says, when he, God, opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no... Yeah, uh, you know, Isaiah twenty two twenty two is not a cross-reference to Joshua chapter 6. And we'll be able to open them. So when God closes a door, no human being can open it. But when God wants a door open, no human being can keep it closed and locked and barred. God will blow the door open. And maybe all the doctors have given up hope. Maybe all the doctors have closed the door on you because of your diagnosis. Just know this. Mankind may close the door, but if God wants to open the door in your life, no disease can keep the door shut. Um, you are aware that we all die, right? So, note, I'm going to make this very clear. I believe that God can and God does heal people, even miraculously. He answers our prayers. He hears our prayers. That being the case, we as Christians are not to somehow look at our standing with God based upon our health, whether or not we have a terminal disease or not, because each and every one of us already was born with the terminal disease of sin. We were born dead in trespasses and sins, and the wages of sin is death. We all have that death to face. That's just the story that we find ourselves in. But that being the case, we as Christians, our hope is not in this life. Scripture over and again describes our life here as a mist or like the grass that, you know, grows up and, you know, you have these wildflowers that bloom and then they wither quickly and then they're gone and you can't find any trace of them. That's our life here and now. So our promises in Christ are for eternal life. So if we find ourselves 
And you know, here's the thing: is that the majority of us that are listening to this program, or you know, the, you who are listening, uh, there's going to be a time when you're going to get that diagnosis, and that diagnosis is going to say, "Get your affairs in order. You don't have much time, unless you know you're in a fatal car accident or a plane crash, or you're the victim of terrorism or something like that." Um, but you know, you, you know, if if the normal thing happens to you, which is what happens to majority of people, you're going to get a diagnosis. You're going to be given an amount of time, whether it's a day or days or weeks or months, and then you're going to die. And yes, God could heal you here and now, but God has promised that he will perfectly heal you. In the resurrection, there's a day coming when Jesus will make all things new. So, you know, over and again, you know, somehow, you know, if evangelicals have this weird light version of the word of faith heresy that somehow they can't speak the truth about their diagnosis or somehow they've got to keep looking for the miracle. (laughs) Look beyond your grave, would you? Your miracle is coming when Jesus returns and he calls you from the grave. And so if he's calling you to the grave right now, the best way I can put it is it's not the end of the world if you're going to your grave. For you, it is the beginning of eternal life or the beginning of something completely new face-to-face with Christ. So, um, yeah, weird how... The seeker-driven and purpose-driven movements always have this emphasis on the here and the now rather than the eternal. No problem in your life can keep the door locked when God wants to blow open the door. And so you want to make sure when you're praying that you don't stop praying just because you get a door slammed in your face. Just because the door looks locked and barred, you keep praying. Sometimes God uses shut doors to redirect us, that's for sure. But sometimes we stop praying when God wants to knock the door down so that we can possess the promise. There's a third thing about walls we need to understand or we'll give up praying, and that is walls look like problems that shouldn't be on our path. I mean, you'd think the first place that the people of Israel would go once they got out of the wilderness And they first went into the promised land would be a a little village with friendly people that would be real hospitable to them. I mean, like Texans, you know, you you would think that it would be like they would walk into this little town in Texas where everyone was saying, howdy, come on in, have some barbecue, you know, just sit down, relax, have some sweet tea. You know, that's what you would think. I mean, they're in the promised land. This is the promised land. Finally, we've arrived in the promised land, and the first thing they hit is a wall. And sometimes when we're following God. No, it wasn't a wall. It was a city. Big difference. Praying, and we're going down God's path, and we hit a wall. We're like, huh? Wait a minute, God, I must be out of your will. I mean, I'm doing all the things that you've called me to do. I'm following your path, I thought. And because I'm following your path, that means everything should be smooth sailing and the path should be clear because you open the path wide. You illuminate the path and everything should be perfect. And and here I hit this wall. This makes no sense, God. And we give up praying. It's like, God, I'm doing everything right. And then boom, this happens. What good does it do to go down God's path? 
and we think that either we're out of God's will or, or God doesn't know what he's doing. But walls are part of God's will for your life. You need to understand that. Walls are part of the path that God has you on. Why? Because walls cause us to fall. When everything's going great and I'm going down God's path and I hit a wall, it causes me to fall. Either on my knees or on my face. And usually I fall. (laughs) What? (laughs) This is ridiculous, Jesus. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's, oh, man. Face first, but then I get to my knees quickly. And I trust God because without walls, I would never pray. If everything was always perfect in my life, uh, then I wouldn't be drawn to get on my knees and go, God, I need you. I need a miracle here. I need you to knock this wall down. I don't know what to do. God, I need you to open this door. I don't know what to do. I need you. I can't do this in my own strength. God, I, I trust you. And so I pray it's the walls that keep you on your knees. It's the walls that teach you to walk in faith. Without walls, we would never learn to walk in faith. The Israelites kept walking in faith around the walls because the wall was there. They would have just gone right through if the wall hadn't been there. And they would have thought, look at us. We're a great army. But God taught them to trust him, to depend on him, to get to know him. And it's the walls that cause us to worship. It's the walls that cause us to fall on our knees. There have been so many walls that we've hit as a church over the last 24 and a half years. I I can think of so many times we hit a dead end. It's like, God, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do a miracle here. Early on, when our church was two years old, we'd outgrown the little intermediate school we were meeting in. And I remember the Woodlands High School was being finished. So here comes personal testimony regarding overcoming walls. You know, Jericho style for Woodlands Church. Again, a complete mangling of the text he's supposedly preaching through. Almost built, and and Chris and I knew that the Woodlands High School wasn't being built just for the kids to come there and learn Monday through Friday, but the Woodlands High School was being built so Woodlands Church could meet there and we could have some more room so that more people could come to Christ. Though we didn't tell anyone that. And I, I remember as we met some representatives of the school board and we asked them, could we lease the Woodlands High School? And they said, you guys are wonderful, but no, we've decided no church will ever meet in the Woodlands High School. That's just what we voted on and that's we've decided that, but thank you. Well, we get told no a lot. Constantly at Woodlands Church, we get told no. And so we don't think anything of that because... Yeah, those no's. That's just like the walls of Jericho, man. All you have to do is prayer walk around those no's. I mean, walls, and, and eventually they'll come down. Yeah, that's the thing. Joshua 6 is not a promise to you that God is going to tear down the obstacles or the no's or the difficulties in your life. It could just be that our destiny is on the other side of the door. So we don't quit praying. We, we keep asking. We keep praying. We keep doing. But I, but I have to say, at that time... I just kept asking people, hey, you know, could we meet in the Willens High School? And after getting told no about four times, we had one last meeting with some of the representatives of the school board. And we sat down and I said, hey, guys, we really need to lease the Willens High School. We're out of space. And, you know, our church is really growing. We'll pay you whatever 
you asked for. We can pay it. We really couldn't. That was a lie. But um, we had no money. But it's like, we, we, you know, we can pay you whatever. And we've got all these influential members in our church now that it's grown. Don't you know that? You know, and, and we really need you to do this. And they said, oh, you guys are wonderful. But no, we've decided. It's already been voted on decided. I went away from that meeting so discouraged. And as I left the building we were meeting in, I drove past the Woodlands High School. It was just being finished. And my heart just sank. And I said, God, I don't get this. This wall doesn't make any sense because it means that our church has no place to grow. And I thought you wanted us to reach more people and to grow and to meet people's needs. And I don't get it, I guess. But it's in your hands. I mean, I just give it to you. And it was as if the Lord just spoke directly to my heart and said, Carrie, you're not depending on me. You're depending on you and others now. When you first started the church, you really depended on me because you knew it had to be up to me or nothing's going to happen. And now you're saying that you've got all these church members. And so that's why you should meet. And I said, but Lord, I said we could pay anything, you know, to lease the school. And, and, and you know, we really can't. So I, I was thinking you'd take care of that part. So that's part you could do. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll get the school and then you, you take care of the money part because we don't got it. You know that. But the Lord really spoke to my heart that we were not totally dependent upon him. And I've been reading Joshua in my quiet time. And I just read about them marching around the city of Jericho. And as if God just spoke directly to me saying, you need to march around the Woodlands High School and pray for the walls to fall down. And I thought, no, that's just me thinking that. Oh, you are kidding me. So God spoke directly to your heart to march around the Woodlands High School. Uh, Strange application here, and that's not what this text teaches. I just kept putting that on my heart. So finally, I I went back to the office and I said to our little staff team, tomorrow morning at 730, meet me at the Woodlands High School. We're going to walk around it and pray for the walls to fall down. And they go, okay, then let's do it. So we got there at 7.30 in the morning, and I remember thinking, we're going to get arrested for trespassing. And I could see it in the local paper. Pastor gets arrested for trespassing and praying that the whole high school will blow up, you know, or something like that. You know, that's what they do. You know, they twist things around. And so it's like, I'm thinking, I don't know, God, this is really dumb. And I remember right as we started walking, the security officers just peeled out of the parking lot because a kid had been doing donuts in the parking lot, and then he just drove off. And I was like, God, thank you for possessing that kid to just do crazy stuff. <laughs> Bring him to know you later. But, but right now, Lord, help him drive as fast as he can for as far as he can. You know, I mean, it was really wild. They just drove out. We never saw them again. So we started walking around the Willis High School. And I remember we ran into kids that went to our church going, Pastor Kerry, what are you doing here? Uh, don't worry about it. Get on into your class. You know, it's okay. <laughs> and we were just praying, walking around praying. And we sang, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we do not understand. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And we got around those 50 acres one time. And everyone's looking at me like, are we going to go seven times like in the book of Joshua? I go, I don't know. Let's go around again. I've never done this before. So we went around again. We're really out of shape and took us a long time. And got around the second time. And one of our staff members said, Pastor Kerry, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. But I got to go to the bathroom. And I said, maybe that's God's call. I I don't know. And we stopped. And and I I went home. And right when I got home, I got a call from our county commissioner who said, who'd come to Christ at our church. And he said, Carrie, I just want you to know that I called the superintendent one last time. 
And I'm just amazed because he said that he's been thinking about it a lot and he's changed his mind and we can lease the Woodlands High School. And, and I said, you won't believe what we just did. And I said, I can't believe it. And God's like, well, I told you to do it. And I go, yeah, but I mean, I didn't really think it was going to work. You know, God, I mean, come on. I was just obeying. And we obeyed and the door. <clears throat> Which thing were you obeying? The, the written word of God, which clearly tells us to pray, or the command to walk around uh, Woodlands High School, which I don't think came from God. And here's my issue, is that uh, Carrie Shook is a guy who mangles God's word. There's a reason why he regularly appears on Fighting for the Faith is because I can count on Kerry Shook to twist God's word, and therefore I use him as an example of a particular type or types of Bible twisting in order to warn the greater body of Christ. Why would God help to plant a church where his word is mangled and butchered in these ways with you know, energizer, bunny, energy, and consistency. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just saying. Opened, and I told him that, and he said, that gives me chill bumps, because I thought, why am I calling him one more time? We've been told no so much, he's now I know why I called him. So all along the way, last week, you know, this next week, we'll have another wall that we need God to knock down. That we'll have to depend on God totally to knock down. Walls are part of God's will for your life because walls teach you to walk in faith. So how do I walk in faith when I'm faced with a wall? First, you walk in faith to possess the promise. You walk in faith. What promise am I supposed to possess here? Again, you know, these are apparently direct revelations you receive from God. That's what I'm taking away from this at this point. To possess what God has promised you. Now, in Joshua 6, 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its fighting men. So God says, Hey, Joshua, don't worry about Jericho. I've already delivered that into your hands. That battle's already done. I've won that battle for you. It's over. But there's a problem. In Joshua 6, 1, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. So God says, Joshua, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. But Joshua looks up and all he can see is a huge wall. God says, I give you this promise that you've won the victory because of my power. But then you have to possess what God has promised. Just because God... Okay, I got to possess the promise. How does one go about possessing promises? Promises me something doesn't mean I possess it. I have to step in faith to possess what God has promised. God always works this way. God says, hey, this is yours. In fact, he told Joshua in another time, every place where you set your foot will be yours. So what did he have to do? He had to set his foot there. He had to take another step of faith, another step of faith, another step of faith. And sometimes there were enemy warriors there. That he had to trust God to win the battle and take another step of faith. Satan doesn't lie down and just let you have everything that, that God wants to give you. you got to keep taking steps of faith. But God fights the battle for you. You see, Joshua looks out and he sees the wall and God says, victory's already won. 
What do you do when what you see doesn't line up with what God said? Um, what exactly is God promise me, promising me as far as a victory that is already won? Hmm? I can only think of, you know, like salvation, eternal life. Uh, you know, being set free from the dominion of the devil, the, denim, the devil being a defeated foe. Um, as far as the difficulties I face in my life or the difficulties you face in your life, which do come, um, God hasn't promised me victory over them. And what does it mean for me to possess these non-existent promises? This, this again, utter confusion here. Let's get real this morning. What do you do when what you see in front of you doesn't line up with what God has said to you? When God has said, I'll fill you with joy, but you are filled with a debilitating depression. Um, okay. <laughs> Man. Um, can we see those promises from God that he'll fill me with joy? I'd like to see the context on those, please. And you can't see any way out. What do you do when God says, I filled you with my peace, but all you feel is an overwhelming anxiety that you can't seem to get rid of? Yeah, Psalm 13 seems to come into play there. What do you do when he says, I have given you the victory, but you look around, all you see is defeat. What do you do when he says, I have given you wonders, but all you see are walls. What do you what I've given you wonders, but all you see, what are you talking about? Do when what you see doesn't line up with what God said. You keep walking until you possess the promise. You keep walking in faith. You keep praying. You don't give up until you possess the promise. God just building your faith. And then secondly, you keep walking in faith, even when you don't see progress. Keep walking in faith, even when you don't see any progress. In verses 7 through 11, it says, And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard, going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward. They were blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Let's stop right there, because the ark of the Lord's covenant was where God's presence dwelt. And so God wanted them to do that strange thing of walking around carrying the ark so they would remember God was the one that knocked the walls down, not their strength and their power. And sometimes God will ask you to do something unusual. God will ask you to do something that doesn't make... What? God's going to ask me to do something unusual. Again, do you have a text that says these things? Any sense? Because he wants you to learn to trust him for success and give credit where credit is due. Let's go on. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So they march around the city one time, blowing trumpets and all of this stuff that's going on. And they get around the city. It probably takes them about an hour, knowing how big Jericho was at the time. They get around the city. Then he says, just go home to your camp. They go home. Nothing has happened. They do this for six more days. And then on the seventh day, they march around the city six more times. And what do they have to show for it? Nothing. 
Nothing. Zero. They haven't seen anything happen. That's because they were told to march around it seven times. <laughs> Nothing in the text shows that they were despondent after Revolution 3 or Revolution 4 going, This ain't working. This isn't going to work. He's reading something into the text that isn't there. And again, the the story of God's defeat of Jericho is not a repeatable pattern that we're called to somehow apply to our lives. So there's, there's your obstacle. Well, that's your metaphorical, allegorical wall. So you need to march around it. And even though it might feel like you're getting nothing done, you, you just keep on marching until those that wall falls. Again, this is utter nonsense as far as application. Now, if I would have been God, here's the way I'd handle this. And I think this is a really good way to motivate people. If I would have been God, the first time they got around the city and they finished that first lap, I would have made a few bricks fall off the top just to keep them motivated. I mean, that's how you motivate people. They need to see some progress, you know? It's like, man, what Pastor Kerry's telling me is working. And, and it's like the next day I would have had like four or five feet of bricks fall off the top. And they go, whoo, did you see what happened today? Now, I can't wait to get up in the morning and get right back to it because, I mean, this is working. We're seeing progress. God is working. Man, I love walking around the walls because those walls just keep falling. Oh, I'm telling you, it's not going to take much more and everything's going to fall down. We're going to win the battle. That would have motivated them. But God knows better than I do. And they kept walking and walking and walking and didn't see one brick fall. What do you do when you're praying for a miracle and you don't see any progress? And you're circling around that problem. And some of you have been circling around that broken heart, that hurt, those damaged emotions in your life. Circling. You're making promises for God that he hasn't made. You're creating expectations for these people that God is going to alleviate said problem when they have no promise from God to that effect. Uh-huh. Praying and praying, and it's not getting any better. And some of you have been circling around that marriage problem over and over again. You keep circling around that problem, praying, and it's not getting any better. Some of you have been circling around praying for one of your kids who's going the wrong direction, and they haven't turned around. You keep praying in those circumstances, but God has not promised to fix these problems. What do you do when you're praying for a miracle and things get worse? What do you do? You take another lap in faith. You take another lap in faith, leaving the results to God. Hey, by the way, when... Yeah, leaving the results to God, while you see, I'm, I'm glad you said that because... The results might not be what we desire or what we wish for or what even should happen. The idea here is we keep our faith and trust in God and the real promises that he has given, and we continue to pray, leaving the results to him 
not creating the false expectation that God has given me a promise that he's going to do this, that, or the other thing when he has not given you those promises in his written word. Yeah, pastors do not create false expectations that God is going to do something that he has not promised in his word because when you do that, you set the people up in your congregation to have their faith utterly destroyed. Because they're going to say, well, God told me in my heart that this was going to happen and it didn't happen. And Pastor Kerry said to circle this in, in prayer over and over again. Eventually the wall would come down and it never did. So Christianity isn't true. No, the promises that were told to you by men like Kerry Shook are not true. Progress is not obvious. That doesn't mean that God's not working. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that God is not working. God is working. Sometimes you can't see anything happening to the wall in front of you. But something's happening inside you. God is preparing you for the wall to fall. God is drawing you closer to himself. It's the pain of the wall not falling that's drawing you closer to his presence. And you're finding out what real joy is and real peace is and real victory is. It's being able to walk in faith, not by sight. What happens when... You're praying for something and it just gets worse. Do you give up? Usually we just give up. But God says, that happens. I'm just wanting to teach you how to walk in faith because real maturity is walking in faith despite the results that you see and leaving the results to God. See, it's my job to obey. It's God's job to come through and do what he wants to do. So I leave the results in God's hands to do it in his time and in his way. But what do you do? When you're praying and you don't see any progress, you just take another lap in faith. And you take another lap as if it's going to be your last lap, as if it's going to be the lap the walls fall down, because one day it will be. You take another lap in faith. You take another lap in faith. And then I want you to see this last thing. That is you walk in faith until the walls fall down. You walk in faith until the walls fall down. It's interesting that Joshua never... Again, Joshua 6 is not some pattern that God promises to repeat in our life. The people, what God told him specifically. He tells them how to walk around, but he never tells them, hey, and by the way, on the seventh day, on the... On the seventh lap, the walls are going to fall down. So just hang in there, okay? He never tells them that. I don't know why he didn't tell them that. Maybe it's because he wanted them to learn to follow him, knowing that he was following God. And God was teaching Joshua how to follow him, no matter what the results. And so they didn't know that the walls were going to fall on that seventh lap. They'd walked around the wall six days. And then on the seventh day, the sixth time, and still hadn't seen one brick fall. What if they would have stopped? See, some of you have walked around the walls six times and you're giving. I, I haven't walked around any walls either one, two, six, or ten times. Uh, and the miracle, the seventh time, is the next lap. Don't give up on six. Don't stop on six. You keep walking in faith. Take the next lap, expecting the walls to fall. And one day they will. You don't know when you're on that last lap. God doesn't tell us when we're on the last lap. We just have to keep walking in faith. And by the way, the number six is always a symbol of man's number in the Bible. Imperfect, broken, sinful man. Like 666, the mark of the beast. Six is always used as the 
imperfect number. Seven is always God's number, the perfect number, seven. And so they didn't know they were on the perfect number as they walked around. That was the number the walls would fall. They, they didn't know. We don't know. They were told quite explicitly what would happen mm-hmm. and what God would do and when he would do it. They were not guessing. Well, maybe this time. Maybe this. Let's go around again. Maybe this time the walls will. No, that's not what happened. When will it be the seventh time? You don't know. This next lap may be the lap where the walls fall. Don't give up before the seventh lap. Keep walking. I want you to stand for this last verse. Today we'll stand for the first verse in honor of God's word and for the last verse in honor of God's word. It says, so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. We're not going to shout. We're going to sing, for the Lord has given you the city. Don't stop on the sixth lap. Don't stop. What do you do when you've gone around six times and you haven't seen any results? You keep walking in faith. 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 And when you can't walk anymore, you crawl. You keep going in faith. You keep going in faith. Don't you quit before the seventh lap. Don't quit until the wall falls down. This is just mind-boggling. And I cannot understand why... Anyone there is clapping because none of this makes any sense. Dear God. Done. Yeah, sorry, Carrie, not letting you pray for us. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, You know, just march around your walls until, you know, things fall. I mean, that's not not what uh, the book of Joshua is about, nor is that what the Bible teaches us to do. The Bible does teach us to pray and to call out to God and to beseech him for help, to call upon him in our day of trouble. God is an ever-present help in time of need. And uh, and to trust him even when it doesn't seem like he's quick to answer our prayers, and to trust in the real promises that he has given. But the sad part about this is that no one was actually taught the real promises of God, nor were they taught real promises doctrine, biblical doctrine regarding how to pray. Instead, their minds were filled with nonsense, and they're farther away now from a biblical understanding of prayer and God's desire and promises to help us through our problems than they were before they heard the sermon. And now whenever they hear the story of Joshua And the walls of Jericho, they're going to think that this is something they're supposed to apply, literally, when nothing could be further from the truth. No one's sins were confronted. Christ and him crucified for their sins was not placarded. No one was called to repentance. Instead, they were called to put their faith and trust in promises that God had never made, while the ones that he has made were totally ignored. 
So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>